Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. It's Tuesday, so we have, what, four days roughly before actual college football games kick off. So get in on the action while you can, guys. We've got our exclusive promo deal going right now. It won't last all season, but it's going right now. It's very simple. Go to mybookie.ag, use the promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit for all new users. So take advantage of it while you can at mybookie.ag. But as you guys know, I am your host, Tyler, and today I am back with our final edition of the 2023 Scouting the Enemy series. Outside of the actual football season where I get to break down real games, this is my favorite thing I get to do on the podcast all year long, outside of the actual season. And this summer has been no different. I've had an absolute blast doing these episodes. Like, this is what I live for, guys. I love breaking down games, breaking down teams. I just love college football, man. And this is the closest I get to it during the offseason. And this is the last one I get to do this summer. But it's all good. We've got actual, real football games to break down coming up here in a couple of weeks. So all good on that front. But today, we are turning our attention, finally, to the Tennessee Volunteers. We are going to close this series out with a bang today. But first, just a couple of quick house cleaning items here. I know a lot of you have already done this, but if you have not, make sure to check out our brand new Glory UGA YouTube channel. I'm having a lot of fun doing that. It's giving me a chance to do some things that I can't really do in the podcast and give you guys a little bit of a different take on Georgia football and actually go a little bit more in depth with things at times because I actually can use video clips. I am putting the finishing touches on my latest video right now, which is breaking down Carson Beck's game. Obviously, he's been named the starting quarterback, as we talked about earlier in the week, and I want to break down exactly what he's going to bring to this team and what our expectations should be for Carson heading into this 2023 season. I know we talked about it a little bit on the show, but I want to put some actual film to it to back up some of those thoughts, which is exactly what I've done, and I'm just about done with that. I should have that up for you guys in the next day or so, but the response has been incredible far beyond what I thought it would be like within the first two or three weeks after starting the channel so I really cannot thank you guys enough those of you who have checked out the channel who've liked subscribed all of those things it's such a huge help for us guys I sincerely appreciate it. I put a lot of work into this behind the scenes I legitimately spent the entire summer like teaching myself how to do it and I'm getting better and better I feel like with each video and I'm having a blast man I'm having a ton of fun doing it and I think you guys will really enjoy it too so again make sure to check out that glory UGA YouTube channel we're gonna have a ton of great content for you guys throughout this college football season just a new twist on what the glory UGA podcast can bring you guys and a quick update on Curtis. I know that Charlie and I kind of were making a little bit light of the situation on Monday, but all in good fun. We love Curtis, and it's just one of those like crazy, crazy situations. Like, man, like what were you thinking there? But love the guy to death, and uh, he's on the road to recovery. I actually was just texting with him, and the latest word is that, let me pull this up here. The latest update I've got for him is that he, quote, feels a lot better, best I have felt in about 10 days. So that is awesome news. Because, dude, guys, I'm telling you, he was he was down for the count. He did get his official test results in. I, I don't know if he wants me to officially, officially put that out there. I don't know. But um, it's it's not something that you would want to have. Let's just say that. And now he's playing the waiting game. His doctor is apparently out of the office until Thursday. So he's trying to find a way to get to somebody, get some medicine so he can get rid of this and get all fully up to speed before the football season kicks off because it's right around the corner. 
We're still going to shoot to hopefully, maybe possibly have him on the show for the final episode of the week. I just don't know. It really depends on how he's feeling, but it seems like he's on the road to recovery, so there's a chance we could have him back on at the end of the week, but if not, we should definitely have him on the first show of next week, so we'll have him on that Monday episode. But he is alive. He's on the road to recovery. He's just not quite fully there yet. So all the positive vibes you can send his way are still very much appreciated. But all right, let's get to the Tennessee Volunteers, shall we? This is a team, this is a program that took a massive step forward in 2022. And following that season, every single Tennessee fan and their brother that has been in hibernation for the last 15 years came out of the woodwork to let you know about how great the Tennessee Volunteers were. You literally could not escape it all offseason long. No matter where you went, no matter where you looked, you couldn't get a Tennessee fan out of your face screaming at you, telling you that Tennessee's back, baby. It's just a matter of time until they take over the world. I mean, in fact, it got to the point this summer, it's like when you jump on social media, you kind of got gaslit. You start to think, wait a minute, did, did Tennessee actually win the national title last year? Like, Am I forgetting how this actually went? Did they actually win it? Because that's the way that fan base acted. At least all of the, all of their fans on social media. And that's not the entire fan base. Just like the some of the idiot Georgia fans that are on social media. That's not the entire Georgia fan base. That's just the idiot Georgia fans on social media. Every fan base has got them. But Tennessee just seems to have them in a much higher quantity than any other team out there in the country. I mean, honestly, I have never in my life seen or heard a fan base that did not win a championship of any sort talk as much trash as the Tennessee fan base has all offseason long. They have left the reservation. They have left planet Earth. They are on their own planet somewhere up there in the solar system where they suck in self-delusion like it's oxygen. And look, I have no problem with passion. In fact, I encourage fans to be passionate. That's what college ball is all about. You should love your team. You should love your team past the point of what's healthy, honestly. And you should hate every other team. That's how I feel. I respect passion, but there's also like a line that you cross where you go from passionate to being entirely untethered from reality. And that's what Tennessee fans have crossed. Like they've crossed the Rubicon at this point. And the hilarious thing is like, there's no arguing with them. Like they are completely immune from facts. Oh, Georgia's beat the crap out of you two years in a row. Oh, we're still better than you. Okay. Well, Georgia won back-to-back national titles. We're still better than you. Um, Okay, I, I guess so. Maybe, maybe you are. It's like, they convinced me. Yeah, maybe you are better than us. And it's like, wait, 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 what, what planet are we on right now? It's the old saying, you can't argue with crazy. But I will give Tennessee fans this. They are passionate and they do have a lot of reasons to be excited about the direction of their program. They are absolutely heading in the right direction after the better part of 15 years of just straight up irrelevance. And honestly, if they didn't act the way that they did, I'd kind of feel bad for Tennessee fans. Like, honestly, I would because, again, they're passionate. I respect that because I'm passionate about my team, my university. And I shudder to think what it would be like if Georgia was as irrelevant as Tennessee had been for the past 15 years. Like, that is a prolonged period of just misery. When you care about it as much as you and I do and as, as the Tennessee fans do, like, I just can't imagine what that's like. That's just absolutely miserable. So, I would feel bad for them, all things being equal, but with the way they act, they kind of make it impossible to feel bad for them. So I get why they're all excited now and why they kind of lost their minds because when, when you have been irrelevant for that long of a stretch of time, like when, when you get back to the what you perceive to be the good old days again, well, yeah, you're going to go crazy because it's been so long. You've been waiting and dreaming about this for years and years and years. So I get it to a degree, but again, they've just, they have left the planet. But it is a good team. This is a good program. Last year, they were a very good football team. They had a legitimate shot to make the college football playoff. I mean, if they had not wet the bed in Columbia, South Carolina, they would have been in the college football playoff. I absolutely believe they would have gotten in over Ohio State. I really do believe that. That win they had over Alabama was far better than any win that Ohio State had. And then they went on the road to Baton Rouge, beat LSU. They absolutely 100% would have been in over Ohio State. And they probably would have gotten that rematch they've all been dreaming about and still talking about all offseason long. Well, if only it hadn't rained. If only we'd gotten the rematch. It's like, mm, okay, cool. Even though it didn't start raining until the third quarter and we were beating the crap out of you in the first half. All good, all good. But the fact remains, all jokes aside, they were very good last year. And I do expect them to be a very good football team again this year. The question becomes, are they ready to take that next step? Because that's what Tennessee fans expect. Like that, that is what they are gunning for. That is honestly, that's, that's not even a hope for them. It is an expectation. They expect to beat Georgia in Knoxville 
on November 18th. They fully expect that to happen. And that might very well be the biggest game of the college football season. It could be. I'm not going to sit here and say it 100% will be. It kind of depends on what Tennessee does to that point. Are they able to beat Alabama again? If so, and they come into that game and, and the Georgia-Tennessee game in Knoxville is for the SEC East, that absolutely has an argument to be, to be the biggest game of the college football season once again. Like it was last year when it was the rare one versus one matchup. I mean, have you guys seen the hotel prices in Knoxville right now? They're going for 2000 a night. 2000 bucks a night. Fortunately, I didn't have to pay that because I booked it as soon as the hotel's open for that weekend. I still paid a lot more than I normally do. I paid it over twice as much as I have for any other Tennessee-Georgia game. And I've gone to a bunch of Tennessee-Georgia games in Knoxville. And I've never come close to having to pay as much as I had to pay for this year's game. And I'm going to dive in to the offense, the defense, the personnel here momentarily. But before I get to breaking down the players, the personnel, I do want to talk about the scheme here. So much has been made about this dynamic Tennessee offense, this Josh Heupel offense, and how it's just taken the college football world by storm, and it's going to spearhead a national championship here in the next couple of years. They're going to overtake Georgia this year because Josh Heupel's offense is just unstoppable. And they have been dynamic under Josh Heupel. They absolutely have on offense. You can't take that away from them. They're dropping 50 and 60 on the regular. But there's one team that has consistently been the kryptonite to Josh Heupel's Tennessee offense. And that's the Georgia Bulldogs. The second video I did for our new YouTube channel a couple weeks back was on this exact topic. Why Georgia has been kryptonite for the Tennessee offense. But let's talk about what this Tennessee offense is. This Tennessee offense, this Josh Heupel offense, is an offshoot of the old Baylor Art Bryles offense from yesteryear, the Robert Griffin, right, Nick Florence years. Those quarterbacks were running basically what Tennessee runs right now under Josh Heupel. It can also be called the deep option offense. It's, it's a very similar offense to what Baylor run. And there are a couple of key tenets, key features of this offense. Number one, what they are trying to do is create explosive plays in the vertical passing game. That's what they're trying to create. And that's what people remember these offenses for. That's the visions people have of the old Art Bryles Baylor offenses and this Tennessee offense. It's just these long passing plays where they're going for 75 and a tud. Jalen Hyatt burning all those Alabama safeties. That's what people think of when they think the Tennessee offense. That's what people used to think of when they used to think about the Baylor offense under Art Bryles. And they do hit those plays. That's what they're trying to create. Where the misconception comes in is Tennessee's running game. They run the football, guys. They actually run the ball more than they throw it, believe it or not. I don't think the average fan thinks that's the case. I don't think they perceive it that way, but they do. They actually run the football more than Georgia does. Like It's crazy. Georgia has this perception, our offense has this perception of being like this old, antiquated, ground and pound, just run it down your throat, physical offense. And that is our identity. We want to run the football, but Tennessee runs the ball more than we do. It just looks different when they do it. They don't run 12 personnel. They spread the field and try to run the football. I mean, you look at the run splits over the past two seasons since Josh Heupel got to Tennessee, it's pretty clear. In 2021, believe it or not, Tennessee ran the ball 60% of their offensive snaps. Last year, that number went down some. They did throw it more, but they still ran the ball 55% of the time. What about Georgia's run splits? Back in 21, 57% run. Last year, 53% run. So each of his two years, Coaching Tennessee, running that offense, Josh Heupel's offenses have run the ball more than the Georgia offenses did under Todd Munkin. Those are facts. Now, the next question becomes, why does Tennessee run the ball as much as they do? They run the ball because they are trying to force defenses to bring extra defenders in the box. They want safeties in the box. They want a single high safety look. That is what they are going for because if they get that look, that means somebody out there, one of their fast dynamic receivers is going to have man coverage and they are going to exploit that. And they are able to exploit it because they spread the field as far as they possibly can. They have these extreme wide receiver splits where they are basically on the sideline. Now, what that does is it makes it extraordinarily difficult for a safety to get over the top to help the corners. They just have further to go. So it helps them in the pass game, helps them create those one-on-one opportunities, but it also helps in the run game. When you have your receivers split out as far as they do, and let's say that you're in 10 personnel. You got one running back and you got four receivers. Let's say you got doubles or trips to one side and a single receiver on, on the opposite side. Maybe you have trips to the boundary, single receiver the other side. Maybe you flip it around. But if you have four receivers out like that, chances are, depending on what you're trying to do from a cover standpoint defensively, you are going to be spread thin. If you are in man coverage, you are going to have 
corners on the far far ends of the field essentially you're going to have a star defender your slot defender who's much further spread out than he normally is based on their wide receiver split so he's not going to be able to insert against the run like he normally would and fill his run fit or if you have 11 personnel and then you flex out a tight end maybe the linebackers on the tight end and now he's got to flex out more so now you only have five guys in the box they've got five blockers for those five defenders even numbers that is typically advantage for an offense if an offense has even numbers they consider that an advantage in the numbers game and then you throw in a dual threat quarterback and you absolutely have the numbers edge because now you essentially have a six on five edge because if you're reading one of the defenders on the zone read you actually have now five blockers for four defenders because you're not blocking one of them you can also use your running back as a blocker on certain plays and in certain situations if you run a little bit of quarterback power or something of that sort so they make it really really difficult for you to stop the run running the football is an absolute requirement for the Tennessee offense if they cannot run the football it's just not the same offense. It's not anywhere close to the same offense. They don't score anywhere near the rate they do when they're able to run the football. Now you might say, well, yeah, Tyler, that's true of every team. Well, yeah, it's true to a degree for every team, but not to the level that it is for Tennessee. I got some numbers here for you guys. So going back the last two years under Josh Heupel, they have won 17 regular season games. In those 17 regular season wins, they have rushed for an average of 230 yards a game and they've scored an average of 51 points a game in those 17 regular season wins under Josh Heupel. What about their seven losses over the last two years? In those seven losses, they've rushed for over 100 yards less, only 124 yards per game in those seven losses. And how many points do they score in each of those games? On average, only 24, less than half what they average in their 17 wins. So you better believe it. This Tennessee offense is contingent on being able to run the football. Most fans don't realize that because all they see are these dynamic passes down the field, these long 70-yard touchdown passes. That's what they think the Tennessee offense is, and they do do that. That's what they're trying to create, but they're able to create those matchups by running the football. When they're able to run the football consistently against even numbers, then they force defenses to bring extra defenders in the box, and now you've, you're just killed. Like, you're dead. You can't cover those guys one-on-one. Like, Jalen Hyatt, you get him one-on-one on a star defender or a safety, like he did against Alabama consistently, there's just no way those guys are going to be able to keep up with him. They're not doing anything fancy. It's actually a very, very simplistic offense, and that's not an insult. The more simple you can make your offense, the easier it is to run, the better off you are. It's all about effectiveness. It's about scoring points. And if you have a very simple offense, but you score a lot of points, then great, good for you. More power to you. That's not an insult. It's just reality. It's a very, very simple offense, but it's a very difficult offense to stop because they just outman most of the teams that they play when they're able to use those splits, spread teams out, and they get the matchups that they want. Here's the problem for Tennessee when they play Georgia. Here's why Georgia's kryptonite for Tennessee. Georgia is just so dominant in our front six that we are able to stone their run game with even numbers in the box. There's basically no other team on Tennessee's schedule that can do that. Alabama could not do that last year. That's why they dropped 50 plus on Bama. And I've got the video evidence to prove it. Go watch that video, guys. If you haven't had a chance to watch it, watch the video. You will see exactly what I'm talking about. Alabama had to start rolling safeties down the box because they could not stop the run game. Tennessee, I think, went for over 180 running the football in that game, which was a far cry from what they did in 2021. Like, why was Tennessee more successful against Bama last year than 2021 with basically the same personnel? They were able to run the football. That was the difference. Now, people want to talk about the crowd. And sure, the crowd, I mean, yeah, I guess the crowd was somewhat of a factor. But let's not forget, Bama still scored almost 50 points in that game. So I'm not sure that the crowd was as much of a factor as they want you to believe that they were. It was a great environment. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I wasn't there. but watching it on TV. It was a fantastic environment. But, but Bama still scored, I mean, essentially 50 points. The difference was Tennessee was able to run the football against Bama. In 2021, in Tuscaloosa, they only ran the ball for 65 yards. How many points did they score? 24, case in point. Last year, they ran the ball for, what, 182. Yeah, 182. They ran the ball for 182 yards and scored 52 points. That was the difference, guys. They were able to run the football. Bama had to roll defenders in the box. They had to roll those safeties down in a way they did not have to in 2021. And that created the one-on-one matchups for guys like Jalen Hyatt to just completely exploit all game long. And Alabama had no answers because they couldn't stop the run. It wasn't so much about their safeties. Yeah, their safeties couldn't cover those guys. Obviously, that was true. But their safeties were put in that position that way with single coverage because they couldn't stop the run with even numbers the way that we could. And here's some more numbers to back this up for you guys. So in 2021, versus everyone not named Georgia, Tennessee averaged 231.8 yards rushing per game. How many points did they score in those games? 39 points on average. Against Georgia in 2021, Tennessee ran the ball for 55 yards. 
They ran the ball for 55 yards in Knoxville, by the way. How many points they score? 17. What about last season? Okay, well, last season against all teams not named Georgia, they ran the ball for an average of 208 yards per game. Against Georgia, they ran the ball a little bit more than they did in, in 2021. They ran the ball a little bit better, 94 yards, though, so still under 100 yards. How many points they score against everyone else not named Georgia? 46. What about Georgia? 13. You get the point. Stop the Tennessee run game, stop the Tennessee offense. And Georgia is the one team over the past two years that has had the dudes up front, the defensive line, and at linebacker to consistently stop the Tennessee run game with even numbers, allowing us to keep a too high safety shell and stay structurally sound against this dynamic Tennessee passing offense and give our corners help over the top. Now, what does that allow our corners to do? It allows our corners to be more aggressive, more press man coverage, get in their face a little bit and not have to worry about getting beat over the top because you have that safety help over the top. Now, Tennessee fans, they don't want to hear any of this. They do not want to hear it because it's reality, it's facts, and they just don't want to hear it. I mean, you should see some of the comments on my video from all those Tennessee fans. They've actually one-star bombed us here on uh, on this podcast. So we went we went down a rating from like a 4.9 to a 4.8 because we've had a string of one-star ratings come in. Who have they come in from? Yep, Tennessee fans. Better believe it. That video has already got over like 5,000 views, and I would say about 4,000 of our Tennessee fans, and uh, they just uh, don't like to hear objective analysis of their team. Again, I'm very, I'm, I'm trying to be complimentary to Tennessee. I am complimentary to Tennessee. This is a really good offense. This is a good football team. Their program is heading in the right direction, but it doesn't change the fact that Georgia is just a really bad matchup for Tennessee. There is zero coincidence that they've scored a combined 30 points against Georgia over the last two seasons, and they're dropping 50 on 60 on other teams around the country. There's no coincidence there. There is a reason for that. That does not happen by accident. Now, here's the thing I will say. That has been the case the past two years, but it doesn't necessarily mean it will always be the case. What Tennessee needs to do if they want to actually compete with Georgia and actually beat Georgia, they need to find a way to recruit offensive linemen that are good enough to be able to really, really hold their own against our front six. Darnell Wright was really good for them at left tackle last year, but he was just about the only guy. Outside of him, they were fine. They were okay. And this year, it's a lot of the same. They're going to be solid. They're not bad on the offensive line. They're just not good enough to hang with Georgia's defensive front. like They just can't hang with our defensive front. It's that simple. Now, again, that could change. They're recruiting at a really high rate right now. Hypo's doing a really, really nice job leading this program. You got to give them credit. And that might change. So if they're able to get more of those type of offensive linemen into this program on a consistent basis, well, yeah, then things might change. Then they might start to have more success against our defense because maybe we won't be able to stop their run game with even numbers as consistently as we have been. But that has been the case. Make no mistake about it, guys. That has been the case each of the past two seasons. Our success against Tennessee is no secret. Like there's, there's no mystery behind why we've been so dominant against Tennessee. It's just a matchup thing. They have to run the football and they can't run the football kids. So we have one of the best run defenses in the country and we were absolutely able to stop their run game with even numbers. So that is what's going on with this Tennessee-Georgia matchup, the Tennessee offense versus the Georgia defense from a schematic standpoint. And I wanted to lay that out before we get into the personnel because I think that's going to help inform what we're going to talk about when we get to the offensive and the defensive personnel. But before we get there, let me just quickly remind you guys once again about our good friends at MyBookie. Yes, they are back with us again for another college football season, and I could not be more excited. As much as I love college football, guys, I just love college football for college football. It's just kind of, again, what I live for. I love this stuff. I live this stuff. But you know what makes every Saturday even more fun? Laying down a couple bets on these games putting maybe some stakes on some games that you otherwise wouldn't really have that much of a rooting interest in. So football season's back, and that means winning season's back at my bookie. College football starts this weekend, NFL in a couple of weeks, Major League Baseball is going on right now, and my bookie is rolling out a brand new cash out system this year that's going to give you a ton of options to bet and win all season long. You guys know me, I give you a parlay each and every week during the season, this year will be no different. But uh, I often tell you when I lose my parlay, you guys know it's usually like one game. It's usually the last game that gets me, right? So I'm excited about this because now when I hit those first two or three, maybe sometimes four legs of a parlay, I can go ahead and cash out. I don't have to sweat out late at night. I know a lot of you guys are probably like me too. So you can cash out early, use those funds or another bet, or just let it ride. You can do that. You can let it ride for the chance at a bigger payday. So use those early cash out tools 
to stay in control of the action at MyBookie. To get started, guys, they make it so simple for you. Go to MyBookie.ag right now. Don't wait, guys. This deal is not going to be around forever. Register for a free account, no strings attached, free account. And when you're ready to make that first deposit, just use our promo code, our exclusive promo code UGA to grab a welcome bonus, a 50% welcome bonus on the house. Again, that's promo code UGA to claim your deposit bonus. And for a limited time, if you're into this kind of thing, you also get a free chip to use in the my bookie casino so bet anything anytime anywhere only with my bookie with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, guys, let's dive into this Tennessee offense. We've done the scheme. We've talked about that. Let's dive into the players. Now, obviously, we got to start the quarterback position because this guy has been, I don't think controversial is the right word, but there has been a lot of conversation centered around Joe Milton all offseason long. So this is a guy who once upon a time, back during the COVID season, was a starter at Michigan, not even Tennessee. He was in the Big Ten, wasn't even in the SEC at Michigan. Well, a couple games in that year, uh, just wasn't working for him, man. They bench him, they put in Cade McNamara, and the rest is history. Cade McNamara was fine the rest of that 2020 year. Michigan was not very good, but you come back in 2021, and Michigan makes a run to the Big Ten title and to the college playoff where they got smacked around by the Georgia Bulldogs. And it was Kay McNamara, not Joe Milton, who was the quarterback of that team that took Michigan to the college playoff and a Big Ten title. Well, what did Joe Milton do? Well, you guys know by now, he transferred to Tennessee. Well, he won the job at Tennessee coming into 2021 also, just like he did in Michigan in 2020. Well, how'd that work out? Well, same thing that happened in Michigan. He lost the job very early in the year, because he was just wildly inconsistent, wildly erratic as a passer, highly questionable decision-making. So they bench him. I think it was the Pitt game that year in 2021. They bring in Hendon Hooker to finish out that game, and the rest is history. He finishes out the rest of the year as a starter, goes through last year, and was a Heisman Trophy contender for most of the year, ends up tearing his ACL, very unfortunately, against South Carolina. I hate to see that happen to anybody. But Hooker went to the NFL, and that now leaves Joe Milton to once again get his third shot now, his third shot to be a starter at the college football level. Maybe third time's a charm? I guess we'll see. But here's what makes Joe Milton a really fascinating player, a really intriguing player coming into the season. This guy has off-the-chart physical tools, like unbelievable physical tools. I will not deny that he has those. He absolutely, unquestionably has those. Maybe the best arm in college football. I mean, this guy, there's so many videos out there of him, what, throw the ball 70, 75, 80, 85 yards in the air. I mean, the guy has an absolute rocket launcher on his shoulder. But there's also a lot of guys, the history of college football is long, with guys who have had these crazy, crazy strong arms, but just haven't been able to put it together on the field. Like, let's, let's take Jacob Eason, for instance. Like, I'm not saying Eason was a bad quarterback. He did some good things for us. He did some solid things at Washington, but he never lived up to the hype. He spent a couple years in the NFL. He might still be in the NFL for all I know, but he's, he's not starting games. He's not a big-time quarterback. But what was all the hype about Jacob Eason all about? It was about his arm, right? That was what it was all about. It's like, oh my God, this kid's arm. And no one questions. I mean, that throw against Tennessee that... <laughs> should have won the game, but didn't win the game back in 2016. Speaking of Tennessee, I mean, that ball was a frozen rope. Like very few quarterbacks in Georgia history were going to have been able to make that kind of throw. That dude could make that throw. But just because you have the, the arm like that doesn't mean that you do all the other things that quarterbacks have to do to perform at a high level. And Eason just wasn't as proficient at those things as some other guys were. And to this point, the same can absolutely be said of Joe Milton. I mean, honestly, to this point, Joe Milton has given us absolutely no reason to believe that he can be a big-time college quarterback. He's given us no reason to believe that based off what we have seen. The only reason people want to believe that, there's two reasons. Number one, he's got this crazy arm that people just get seduced by. It's crazy. It's one of those things in football, like there's nothing that will seduce someone more than a crazy strong arm. Like it's, it's just a hard and fast truth in football. You have a crazy arm, people will just start salivating. It doesn't matter if you can't throw within a quarter mile of the receiver, you got the strong arm, people will just falling over you. It's crazy. So that's part of it. And the other part of why people have these high expectations for him is Josh Heupel. It's a Tennessee offense, like a plug and play style offense. Like it's true that Josh Heupel has never really 
produced a bad offense. Like everywhere he's been, his offenses have been awesome. Whether it's Missouri as a, as the OC, whether it's UCF, now Tennessee, this guy can coach offensive football. His system works against most teams because most teams can't stop the run game with even numbers. The teams that can do that, you can count on one hand. And as much as Tennessee likes to push the ball vertically down the field, again, they run the football a lot, but they do that to try to create those vertical shots down the field. And with Joe Milton's arm, it seems like a match made in heaven, right? So those are the two reasons why everyone's so excited about Joe Milton, even though based on his play at this point in his career, he's given us absolutely no reason to think that he can be anything close to like even a competent college quarterback. So what do I expect from Joe Milton this year? I do expect him to be better than he was at Michigan. I expect him better than he was at Tennessee in 2021. And I, I do put some credence into the idea that Josh Heupel's offense is just really, it's, it's a fit for what Joe Milton does. It's a fit for his skills that now he still has to find a way to be more accurate. He has to make better decisions with the football than what we saw from him at Michigan and in 2021 when he was starting quarterback for Tennessee to open that season. Now, maybe as after he's set back for the last year and a half as the backup to Hinton Hooker, maybe he's gotten better at that. Maybe he's taking the practice time to improve that accuracy. Now, I'm one of those guys that says, you know, at this, at this stage in your career, once you get to the college level, like, I'm not saying you can't improve accuracy. There are some things you can do from a technical standpoint to improve your, your accuracy like to a marginal degree, but you're not going to make leaps and bounds with your accuracy. Like, you just don't make that much of a dramatic improvement with your accuracy. Now, your, your completion percentage might go up, but that's not always about accuracy. That could be decision-making. That can just be the offense, be more quarterback-friendly, and the, and the offense coordinator trying to find some easier throws for you, maybe some RPO-type stuff. That's usually what happens when your completion percentage goes up, but your accuracy, being able to, to put the ball where you want to, like the ball placement, I mean, that doesn't really improve all that much once you get to this level in your career. But I do expect this Tennessee offense to be explosive once again. I do expect Joe Milton to hit a bunch of really explosive plays, dynamic plays down the field in the passing game. I fully expect that. But I also fully expect Joe Milton to make a lot more questionable decisions than Hendon Hooker did. Hendon Hooker made a lot of really good decisions for Tennessee. He did not put the ball in harm's way very often at all. Very, very smart quarterback. Very accurate quarterback. That's why he won that job and took over that job and kept that job from Joe Milton. Because he could do the things, the little things that quarterbacks have to do that don't get as much attention, that don't make people salivate the way that a strong arm does. He could just simply do all those things much better than Joe Milton could. That's why he was a starting quarterback. So I do think that Milton is, is a fit to, for this offense, but he's got to improve his decision-making. He's got to improve his accuracy if they want to truly contend for championships and actually, I don't know, find a way to beat Georgia. If, if they want to try to do that, he has got to be very, very different. got to stop doing the things that cost him the job at Michigan and at Tennessee already. And this is guy, again, he's already been beaten out twice in his career after winning jobs. And all of a sudden, Tennessee fans are expecting him to be their savior. I mean, I know you want to have reason to believe. I know every fan base does. We all want to believe hope springs eternal. I don't begrudge anyone that. I say that all the time. I don't. But man, it's a reach. It's a reach to expect a guy that has been beaten out twice for the job to come in and this season be better than the guy that beat him out over the past year and a half. Like, can you really reasonably expect him to be better? I think that's a, that's a stretch. That's a stretch to say the least. And here's the other thing that people aren't really talking about with Joe Milton. He is a good athlete. I'm not saying it's not. He can run the football. He ran the football at Michigan. They did some quarterback run stuff with him. Like he's he is a mobile guy, but he is not the running threat that Hinton Hooker is. He's a little bit of a bigger, thicker guy, so he can run a little bit more power. But Hooker was really elusive in space and has some really deceptive speed. And I don't believe, I have not seen Milton show me that type of speed. And I've certainly not seen him show me that type of elusiveness in open space. So I think they're going to take a step back from the quarterback run game perspective, which is not going to kill their offense, but that was an element to their offense last year. Again, that, that was another way to allow them to get the numbers advantage in the box. Like when they had some success running the ball against us last year, and they didn't have much, right? Under 100 yards, like 94 yards rushing, but it was really the quarterback run game that made that possible. And even just the threat of the quarterback run game, that's really what made that possible. And I don't know if they're going to be able to pose as much of a threat with the quarterback run game this year with Milton as they were with, with Hooker. Again, Milton can run the ball. He's a good athlete. He's just not Hendon Hooker level athlete, in my opinion, at least as a runner. I don't think he's as proficient of a runner, certainly not the same type of runner that Hooker was. And then there are the receivers. So Jalen Hyatt was the Blitnikoff Award winner, guys. Like that's the award given annually to the best receiver in the country. Now, was he the best receiver in the country? Uh, I mean, that's certainly something you can argue. I mean, he, he had a really good year, put up great numbers. I mean, I, I maybe would say Marvin Harrison Jr., maybe Roma Dunze are actually better receivers, but he put up explosive numbers. Tennessee was a high-profile offense. They were number one in the first CFP rankings that were released last year. They beat Alabama in that high-profile game. And in that game, when everybody was watching, Jalen Hyatt went off. He went crazy. So, I mean, I don't. he wasn't undeserving. Like He, he deserved to win. It was fine. He might not have been the best receiver, but close enough. But this year, he is gone. And it's not just Hyatt. 
Let's not forget about Cedric Tillman. Cedric Tillman was their alpha number one X receiver coming into last year. He was their guy back in 2021. Like He was their top guy, but he dealt with a lot of injuries last year. And he was just was banged up most of the year, and that gave Hyatt a lot more opportunities. Tillman played some, but he just wasn't the same guy most of the year, missed a couple of games. So Hyatt was the was the focal point, but Tillman was also an incredibly talented player himself when he was out there on the field. Both of those guys are gone. Now, of their top three receivers last year, one guy returns. It's Brew McCoy, who spent some time at USC, transferred to Tennessee. He played there last year for them. Brew McCoy's a very different kind of receiver than either Tillman or Hyatt, especially Hyatt. Now, McCoy's a good player. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to trash a guy. He's a good player, but he is not an explosive receiver. That's not what this guy is. He's a big-bodied possession receiver. The dude is 6'3", 220. He's fast for that size, but he ain't that fast. Like He is just not an explosive guy. He is not going to be your vertical home run threat in the passing game. That's not his role on this team. It wasn't last year, and it won't be this year. I'm not saying he can't make an explosive play here or there, but that's not what this guy is going to do as a rule. So the question becomes, who are those guys going to be? Well, McCoy is their leading returning receiver. He had 52 receptions last year, was the second on the team, was also second on the team in receiving yards, 667 yards. Hyatt had 1267 himself, had 67 receptions. So he's the leading receiver. Again, I just don't think he's the explosive guy. So who's going to be their Jalen Hyatt? Who's going to be their Cedric Tillman? Well, the top two options right now are Ramel Keaton and Squirrel White. Ramel Keaton is a guy, actually played, was at Marietta, he's from Georgia, went to Tennessee, we didn't really recruit him that heavily, goes to Tennessee, and he's kind of been a role player. He had 31 catches last year for 562, he played, again, a couple of games in place of Cedric Tillman. He's a, he's a good, solid player, like, he's, he's a contributor, he'll be a good player for them, but he is not a number one guy, like, he's just not that guy. He's good, solid, good speed, not overly explosive, so he'll certainly get a lot of run from them this year, and he'll probably be in their top three receivers, but he's just not Jalen Hyatt. He's not even Cedric Tillman. He's not one of those guys. The other guy, now Tennessee fans have a lot of expectations for this guy. His name is Squirrel White. And he's a little dude. So Brew McCoy's big, 6'3", 220. Squirrel White, not so big. Squirrel White is 5'10", 165. And he is a guy that's actually slated to take over for Jalen Hyatt in the slot, which is the premier position in Josh Heupel's Tennessee offense. Wherever he's been, whether it's UCF, Missouri, now Tennessee, that is the premier position. That's what they create matchup advantages with. They get those guys matched up on linebackers, on safeties, on star defenders, and they usually have an explosive guy there, and they just burn whoever covers them. They create those explosive vertical passing shots. Well, Squirrel White is a guy that they are planning on doing that with this year. He played in place of Hyatt in the Orange Bowl against Clemson, had a good solid game in that game. Last year, total on the season, had 30 catches for 481 yards. He's probably the most explosive of their top guys coming into this season, but he's not Jalen Hyatt. Like he's not, he's just simply not that guy. I can definitively tell you right now that Squirrel White is not going to win the Bolitnikoff award as the best receiver in the country. He's not going to do that. So if he doesn't do that, he's not as good as Jalen Hyatt, right? Now there is another intriguing option for Tennessee this year. He just didn't play for Tennessee last year. It's a guy that's transferred from Oregon. His name is Dante Thornton Jr. He was a former top 75 recruit in the 247 composite going back to the 2021 class. He's played two years in college, two years at Oregon. Last year was solid, 17 catches, 366, 21 and a half yards per catch. Uh, one touchdown, two touchdowns in 2021. So three touchdowns total for his career. He has a little over 500 yards total receiving through two years. So the production hasn't been elite, but he was a former highly rated guy, a really good athlete. He's another big body guy, 6'5", about 205. He is more explosive than uh, than Brew McCoy, but he's also, again, not explosive to the degree of Jalen Hyatt or Cedric Tillman. But he's a guy that I have a feeling will certainly start to make a move on this Tennessee offense as the season progresses. In fact, it would not surprise me if at some point in the season he takes over that starting job for Ramel Key at their Z position. It looks like McCoy's probably going to play the X for them this year, and you'll have Squirrel White playing that Y slot position, which is the premier position in that Tennessee offense. And let's go to the running game here. So I mentioned earlier, talking about their scheme, how important the run game is for them. But it's always interesting, because Tennessee right now, at least in the first two years of the Josh Apple offense, and in this year too, they have the same guys they had last year, they don't have elite running backs. Like They have good guys, like they're solid players. I mean, they're not scrubs, they're good. But these aren't like top-of-the-line running backs. The, the two guys that got re- returning are the top two r- rushers from last year, Jalen Wright and Jabari Small. Wright ran for 875 last year, six yards per carry. Small ran for 734, 4.7 yards per carry. They had 23 touchdowns between them. They run the ball a lot, and those guys essentially split carries when they are healthy. Neither guy is really much of a threat in the pass game. They don't, really don't do a ton of running back pass game stuff. That's not really a part of their offense. At least it has not been 
much in Josh Heupel's career calling plays. That could always change, but it really hasn't been much of a, of a featured part of their offense. But these guys are good. Again, the way that they spread the offense, like they, they spread the offense out and they spread the defense out, they don't have to have elite running backs. There's just so much space to operate with, especially when you throw in a dual threat quarterback that the defense also has to count for in the ground game. It creates a lot more room for these guys to operate. So the fact that they don't have a dynamic, true elite number one running back doesn't really hurt them because the offense is designed to really kind of mitigate that. But when you talk about the run game, you also have to talk about the offensive line. Again, I said it earlier, this is where Tennessee has to improve. They're not bad on the offensive line. They're just not elite. If their offense wants to take the next step and actually beat a team like Georgia, who is elite in the front six, they have got to get elite players up and down the offensive line. They have a guy here or there. They had one guy last year in Darnell Wright. That guy is gone. I don't really know who that guy is going to be this year. They have three returning starters. Oh, Cooper Mays. Remember his brother, right? Yeah, we all remember. We remember Cade, remember his dad and his pinky. Well, Cooper is back and he is in year 17 in Knoxville. He plays center for them. The guy that I would watch that I think has a chance to be their best offensive lineman this year is a transfer. It's a guy they got from Miami. Florida recruited him heavily. Florida State recruited him heavily out of the transfer portal. He chose Tennessee over over both of those teams. And it's a dude by the name of John Campbell. So I'd watch for him at the tackle position. But Tennessee probably does lose their two best offensive linemen from last year. Again, I already mentioned Darnell Wright. Jerome Carvin's probably their second best guy last year. Uh, in addition to Mays, they return guard Javante Spragans and also a guy named Gerald Mincy, who once upon a time played for Florida and now transferred to Tennessee, and that's where he's playing. And he returns as well to start once again for the Volunteers in 2023. So once again, this is not a bad offensive line. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm just asking the question, what has Tennessee done this offseason with this offensive line to upgrade to the point to where they are going to be able to more effectively run the football against Georgia? Now, I know that we're losing Jalen Carter. I understand that. But we are still going to be the best front six that they will play all year long. I know the game's in Knoxville, but that's not really going to impact our defense the way that it will our offense. I just don't know how they're going to find more success running the football against our defense without Hendon Hooker running the football, posing that threat in the run game. I know that, yeah, Milton can run a little bit, but he's not the same threat as Milton, in my opinion. And you lose your best offensive lineman. I would argue your two best offensive linemen. Yeah, you bring in a guy from Miami who was a good player last year, but he's not going to be as good as Darnell Wright. I don't see how that is going to happen. So again, what has Tennessee done to make you think that they're going to have more success running the football against Georgia? Tennessee fans can say all they want. Well, the game's in Knoxville. They ran the ball for 55 yards against us in 2021 in Neyland Stadium. What have they done on the offensive line to get better? To the point where I can think, oh yeah, they, they actually have a chance to really run the football on us. So if they can't run the football on us, I really don't think they can beat us. I'm not saying it's impossible. Crazy things could happen. We could turn the ball over a ton. That's where the crowd could come into play. It obviously could affect our offense. We could turn the ball over, do some stupid things, not play to our standard, and just give them a chance to win the football game. But I don't see how their offense is all of a sudden going to turn the page against the Georgia defense when they haven't really addressed what has been the issue for them the past two years against our defense. But that's just me. And according to Tennessee fans, I have no idea what I'm talking about. But all right, guys, let's flip things over to the defensive side of the ball. Now, the Tennessee offense last year was awesome, right? I mean, I should have read these numbers out when we talked about the Tennessee offense. So they were number one in scoring offense, number one in total offense. They were second in points per play. They were second in yards per play. They were fifth in passing offense, second in yards per attempt, first in QB rating. They were dynamic on offense. And that's what people really thought when they thought about Tennessee. It's like, oh, great offense, but that defense, man. If only that defense was a little bit better. But here's the thing. Their defense wasn't bad. Like it wasn't elite. It wasn't great, but there was, this was a very solid Tennessee defense last year. And I don't think the average college football fan really fully understands it. I think the perception was, oh yeah, great offense, terrible defense. And that's not really true. They were not great defensively. They weren't awesome, but they were, they were good. They were solid. They were 37th nationally in scoring defense, getting about 22.8 points per game. They were 16th nationally, so inside the top 20 in points per play. Total defense is where it kind of fell off a little bit. So they, they gave up a lot of yards, didn't give up as many points, kind of a bend but not break defense. They were 92nd nationally last year, gave up 405 yards per game. Uh, they were 21st nationally in rush defense. They did a good job stopping the run last year. And the reason for that is they sold out against the run. They realized they didn't have elite corners. So they're trying to force the issue. 
and they put those corners in some bad spots and a lot of one-on-one situations, which is why we were able to exploit them a couple big plays. Remember Lad McConkie, Arian Smith early in the game, before the rain started to come, we were able to hit some of those explosive plays because they just forced the issue. They attack, 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 try to stuff the run, and they leave their corners on an island, and we were just able to hit those throws. So rush defense is good. 21st dash in rush defense, 12th in yards per carry, 21st in explosive rush plays allowed. Passing defense, totally different story, as I mentioned. 127th nationally in passing defense, going up 290 yards per game. It wasn't as bad uh, from a down-to-down basis, like yards per attempt basis. 64th nationally, still not very good, with 7.1 yards per attempt allowed. 66th nationally in QB rating allowed. 97th nationally in completion percentage allowed. 47th nationally in explosive pass rate allowed. Now, their opponent-adjusted numbers are a little bit better. So opponent-adjusted per-play numbers, they were 23rd nationally in overall defense last year. They were 5th nationally in rushing defense and 40th nationally in passing defense. Again, when you adjust for opponent and look at it from a per-play perspective. So all in all, a good defense. Like At times, a very good defense, just not an elite defense. So the question naturally becomes, well, can they take a step forward this year? Can they go from good to maybe sometimes very good to an actually consistently elite defense? That's the question. I have my doubts. I, I don't think that they have the dudes yet. I think they have some really good players in spots. I don't think they have enough of them. I don't think they have the depth they need. I think there are too many holes on this defense for me to say that I expect them to take that step into elite status on the defense side of the ball. I still expect them to be good. I don't really expect them to take a step back on defense. I just don't think they have the horses yet to expect them to take that step forward. Now, they're getting some of those guys. They just got a commitment from Jordan Ross, this guy at Alabama, who earlier in the, in the offseason, I told you guys, was one of my top five targets that I really, really wanted. It's a big-time pass rusher. So they're getting some of those guys. They are recruiting really, really, really well, but those guys aren't on the team yet. I will give the Tennessee defense this. Like their, their past defense numbers were terrible. Like They were awful last year, but they, they also dealt with a lot of injuries at that position. Now, I, I think schematically, they did not do their corners any favors, but they were banged up a lot at the cornerback position last year. I mean, they had four guys, Kamal Hyden, Christian Charles, Warren Burrell, Brandon Turnage, all missed at least half the season last year. That's tough when you have that kind of attrition at the cornerback spot. Well, all those guys are healthy and they return this year. Danico Slaughter is a guy who started most of the year at corner for them last year. He is back. He's pretty much, from my understanding, got one of those corner spots locked up. Good, solid player. They also added a guy from BYU, a starter at BYU, that transferred in a guy named Gabe Judy Lally. They do lose Trevon Flowers, who was a three-year starter for them. But Jalen McCollum comes back at the safety position. And he wasn't like a game-changing guy. That's not what he is. But he's a good, solid player from the, at safety who's played a lot of football in that defense. So it's really good for them. I, I imagine they're excited to have a guy like that back again this year. So all in all, I do expect the secondary to take a step forward this year because they, I mean, they were bad last year. They're going to be better this year if they can just stay away from all those injuries. Now, it, we'll see what happens from a schematic standpoint. If they continue to put that type of pressure they put on their secondary that they did last year, putting, out, putting them out there on islands like they did, it, it's still going to be a tough go for them. But I, I do think if they can stay healthy, they'll be better than they were last year. They have some experience coming back, have some talented guys that aren't quite elite players but are good, solid SEC players there in their back end. I think the biggest loss for this Tennessee defense this year is Byron Young. That guy was really good last year. He was an all-SEC player for them. He led the team with seven sacks, also led the team with 12 TFLs. He's gone this year. But they play a lot of guys, at least they have the past couple years, at that rush-in position. Tyler Barron's a guy I think probably will end up being their top rusher this year, top pass rusher this year at least in terms of their edge rushers. He had three sacks last year, but he showed me some ability to actually rush the pass. He's a little bit of a bigger guy. He's not the quickest guy in the world, but I do think he's a solid pass rusher. He's not Byron Young. He's not as good as him, but he's a good, solid player. He's played a lot of football for them. He's a senior now. They have a really good inside line, this dude named Aaron Beasley. He's a really good player. He was also second on the team last year in sacks, and he led the volunteers in tackles last year. Like he was he was a stud for them in the middle of that defense. Now, they do lose Jeremy Banks, who was also a really good player for them in the middle of that Tennessee defense. And while losing Banks is definitely tough, like that, that's a tough blow. It's a tough guy to replace. But they dip back in the transfer portal. This time, once again, to BYU. Strange. Two, two transfers, two defensive transfers from BYU. Got a dude named Keenan Peely, who was a, a two-time captain, actually, at BYU. So he played a lot at BYU. He was a well-respected player. He's coming over to Tennessee. So that's an interesting player. And I actually watched a good bit of BYU last year because I had a win total bet on them, and which I won, which is exciting stuff. Watched them all year long. But Peely was a good player. Like, I mean, again, he's, he wasn't like a guy that just jumps off the screen at you. But when you watch him play, he's a good, solid, physical linebacker who's going to fit in nicely in the SEC. So I think 
Peely will do a solid job of replacing Banks, who play a lot of football for Tennessee. And again, they have some nice pieces. I, I, I really, truly believe that Beasley is a really, really, really good SEC linebacker. They also return both of their starting defensive tackles. So I do think there are some things to be excited about if you're a Tennessee fan. I do think that they'll be good again on defense. I just don't see the guys that they would need to be able to take that jump into like elite stats. They're not there yet. I think they'll get there in a couple of years. They are recruiting again at a very high level. I just don't think those dudes are on the roster yet. They have some good players, some really good players in the spot. It's just not enough of them. So let's put this all together. You got a defense that I think will be very comparable to what it was last year. But then you have this offense that I have no doubt will be very good once again. It'll be one of the better offenses in the country, probably. But I don't think it will be as dynamic as it was last year. I mean, let me ask you this, guys. How can you expect this offense to be better this year for Tennessee when they're losing Hendon Hooker, who their fans will still tell you is a guy that should have won the Heisman Trophy last year, according to them. You lose him, one of the best quarterbacks you've had in a long time. You lose your top two receivers, one of which won the Blitnikoff Award last year as the best receiver in the country. You replace your quarterback with a guy who's already been beaten out two different times in his career, including by the guy that he is replacing. And you are replacing your two star receivers with guys that have been nothing more than role players for their entire career. And that offense is supposed to be better this year? I just don't follow that logic. That's the problem, right? Logic is not part of the equation when you're talking about college football fandom. So all in all, I still very much expect Tennessee to be a good football team. I think this is probably a 9-10 win team again this year. I just don't think it's this Tennessee team that will fulfill all the volunteer fans' dreams where they're going to beat Georgia, win the SEC East, win the SEC, go to the college football playoff. I don't think this is the Tennessee team. Now, that's not out of the question in the future, but I don't see it this year. Again, How are you going to be better? How are you going to take another step forward this year when you lose your starting quarterback and you're placing with the backup that he beat out two years ago and you're losing your top two receivers who really spearheaded what you were doing offensively and you're placing them with guys who have been good-ish for you throughout their career but just been kind of role players? Your defense will be good again, but it's not going to be really any better than it was last year. And you still have to play Georgia and Alabama. And yeah, you got Alabama at home last year. get them on the road now. You get Georgia at home. But Georgia also went to Knoxville two years ago. And, you know, handle that pretty easily. I know these are two different teams, obviously, different years, different teams, but it's not as though that Georgia hasn't been there and done that. We've, we've been there. We've done that. And you can say, well, Carson Beck hasn't been there and done that. Okay, sure. But, you know, by the time we get to November 18th, he will have been there and done that in a number of different spots, right? He'll have played in Jordan-Harris Stadium. He'll have played in that awesome environment in Jacksonville, Florida. If it was week two that we were going to Knoxville, I would say, oh yeah, that might be a little bit of a different story because we just don't know. Like Carson hasn't seen anything like that before, at least not as a starter. Then I might have a little bit of a different tune. But right now, I mean, it's it's the, the 11th game of the season, guys. I just don't see it. I don't see it this year. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. I just don't see it this year. I think Tennessee's gonna be really good. I just don't think they're ready to take that step and knock us off and win the SEC East, win the SEC, and make it run the college playoff. Might happen in the future. I just don't think it's happening this year. But all right, guys, that's it. We have completely closed out our 2023 Scout of the Enemy series. I know we didn't get to Georgia Tech. Didn't seem like there was much interest in there. Maybe we'll talk about it a little bit when we do our preseason prediction show next week. But, uh, you know, it's Tech. I don't think you guys really care that much. There wasn't really any interest when I put the question out there. So we're going to stop it here, and we're just going to do the SEC teams. And it's been real. It's been a lot of fun. But, dude, it is time. It is time to talk about some real actual football games, and we will get to do exactly that next week. Again, I hope to have Curtis back on Thursday night's episode. I can't promise that. We'll just have to see how he's feeling. If not, you guys know I'll have you covered, and uh, he should definitely be ready by Sunday. He better be ready by Sunday because we got to do our preseason prediction show, and that's the one where you know we don't have many shows a year where we have all three of the hosts here on the show for you guys, but that will be the one that we will have leading in the season. We have me, Charlie, Curtis, at least that's the plan if everyone's still alive, and we'll give you all of our predictions for each of the teams in the SEC. We'll give you our SEC title picks. We'll give you our college playoff picks, national title picks, all that fun stuff. So don't miss out on that. Make sure to come back later this week. Check out our YouTube channel. We have a lot of great content there for you guys. I'm trying to finish up this Carson Beck video tonight. I don't know. This show went a little bit long. So I don't know if I'll get to finish it tonight. I'll try. If not, I'll definitely have it out for you guys on Wednesday. But I appreciate you guys. Sincerely, I do. I appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you for being here. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>